Um, Malcolm Honeline is back in the United States of America as of yesterday. And he is with us every Friday morning at this time for the weekly update. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. And as I said, joins us weekly for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you and good to be back here. Appreciate that very much. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And you can imagine that uh, I had one thought on my mind in terms of opening up this segment this week, and that was the amazing Yom Atzmut celebration in Israel and nine and a half million citizens of Israel and all the different things that we need to celebrate in the miraculous day that the uh, that Yom Ha'atzmaut is uh, if, if anybody pays serious attention to modern Jewish history and then of course the day ends in Israel with this uh, uh, with this murderous rampage by two as they're being described as uh, as young kids 19 and 20 year old terrorists I don't know why they're being described that way but anyway um, and, of course, uh, three are dead. Funerals taking place in Lud, Yerushalayim, and Petach Tikva today. Uh, children left without fathers. These two characters are uh, still at large. Uh, any details I'm leaving out? Do you have any update regarding the Alad terror attack? Well, as you know, Alad is a religious community, basically a city, and people do not go around armed. The, the attack was clearly planned, they had an axe and knives. They didn't use guns. And, you know, that's even a more brutal act when you strike somebody in that kind of way. Uh, it's so much more direct. And the people that they killed, I mean, left many, so many, many orphans, many dozens. And it's, uh, and there would have been more. There were people escaped uh, in miraculous ways. But unfortunately, the, 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 there's no way to, unless you seal the country to to prevent people from coming in. One of the things, of course, is closing all the fence up, which they are doing. And I saw the, some of the construction going on on gaps in the fence. But, you know, people come in to work. People live there. They come from some of the communities uh, often inside Israel. And, the, the, um, you know, there's no instant cure any more than there is in any other country for those carry out criminal attacks or terrorist attacks. You have to go to the sources, to the incitement, to the, and hold to account. Imams, in, the one in Lud, as you know, was arrested because he engaged in incitement before uh, Yom Atzmaut. And he, he remember not long ago in Lud, uh, I actually went and saw the results of the pogrom there where, yeah. um, you know, it evoked images of the past that uh, sing burnt synagogues and Svarim and how... Some of the residents, the Arab residents, pointed out to the Jewish apartments, to the mobs as they were marching in. And so going after the imam who was responsible for some of the incitement. And you have to round up weapons. We have to. But, I mean, how are you going to stop getting axes? How are you going to stop having people having knives? Yeah, of course. And then these two apparently were in uh, the area illegally. <coughs> they weren't allowed to. Uh, to be there um the um i know that i brought this up the last couple of times we spoke and i and i know that some of this is is abstract and hard to to get one's you know to get a handle on it but the volume of it is, is it that there are so many more attempts now 
or is it that the attempts are more successful because the enemy is getting more clever in terms of defeating Israeli intelligence and not being found or or um, or, or being tracked? H- how would you? Uh, it, this is a spike. This is a spike in terror, and I know Ramadan and all the other stuff, but this is a spike in terror attacks in Israel. Is it is it a volume problem? Is it a security problem? An intelligence problem? What would you say? It's probably all of the above, but the the real numbers are the ones that are prevented, uh, the, the much larger number, and they've been very successful. They've been uh, executing uh, searches and going after uh, people preventing attacks, many in the last few weeks. Uh, and as you know, there were clashes that emerged. Soldiers got wounded uh, as people started to respond to, to their actions, um, trying to round up people before they carried out an attack. For that, it reminds us the importance of intelligence on the ground and having the presence, the ability to to be there. And, and those who say that they should pull out troops and, and um, take other measures, which would make it much more difficult and it is more difficult now for them to, to operate and depends on the cooperation sometimes with the Palestinian Authority uh, security, which has been continuing uh, because it's a threat to them as well. And they, uh, but, but it's not as fulsome, I think, as it was. And so it, you have a combination uh, of factors. You also have a competition between Hamas and, and uh, the PA the, and the, uh, you know, people wanting to be the, the, the nationalist force. But also, you know, the the meeting in um, in the Negev was a spur for them to to attack because they saw how their case has been marginalized, that their, their activities and their failure to respond to to efforts to uh, negotiate to do anything to to be a responsible entity uh, led the uh, these Arab countries to come there, and the Palestinian issue hardly was discussed, and that enrages them even more. It feeds Hamas's uh, appetite. And, of course, you can be sure that Iran has a hand in, in trying to stimulate the, this, um, uh, these attacks. And the fact that they, the PA continues to pay the families and the, the murderers, the families, their, their uh, defendants. Even, even as the PA leader is condemning the attack. He, he can condemn the attack all he wants. I want to see them announce that they will not get anything, that their families won't get anything, that uh, their houses will be destroyed. And, you know, you see how the world criticizes Israel, but it is, in fact, an effective measure because these guys say, you know, we can be killed, but our families are going to be taken care of forever. Yeah. By the way, we haven't even joked in months about the fact that he's still in power. You know, we, we always talk about how long his term is and that he can't get elected out. And, right. and and it, and it's I I I don't know maybe maybe the lack of news about him frankly makes me think he's more marginalized and in, in less of a powerful position when it comes to the coalition of you know terror groups if I have the nerve to put the PA in that uh, he's camp. trotted out when it's convenient for some of the others in the region or to to uh, you know that Hamas delegation was invited to Moscow this this was. Oh yeah, that's right. Retaliation and 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 very fact that these murderers could be invited to a to a state to, is also how, it shows how this is manipulated. Reminiscent reminiscent of when they were invited to the Paris uh, you know demonstrations after the attacks. Right, but this uh, but here it's even more uh, blame because right. it's about Ukraine, not right. even about the Middle East. That they were, you know, that he was trying to manipulate this. Right. But but the uh, if you look at the numbers, Abbas's popularity is so low, and people don't trust the PA. People don't look to the PA for leadership. 
there's uh, internal struggles constantly going on. And he knows that if he has an election, Hamas today certainly would be a formidable, uh, would, 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 might even win and would certainly, uh, his ter- term in office would be over. And, you know, it's a kleptocracy, and he wants yeah. to continue to support his family. i got to go back for a second to the terror attack. You know, it, it, you mentioned it's a religious community, and you mentioned the type of people and families that were affected directly by yesterday's attack. Uh, and generally speaking, and I hope I'm right about this. I don't know if you'd agree, but I think I'm right that generally speaking at the funerals, um, uh, generally uh, um, uh, those those um, those types of communities, the way we just described them, uh, do not let their anger out at the government. Maybe sometimes they do, but whether they do or not, today it happened. Today it happened where one of the rabbinic leaders who was who was eulogizing uh, one of the victims um, uh, did take out a um, did make quite a powerful statement against the prime minister of Israel and, and essentially asked him to do tshuva uh, to repent um, uh, for all of this. And I. I you know, there, there are many people that that beyond what BB uh, um, experienced when he was in office, because we know that he was always the target of criticism when there were terror attacks. Security was his number one issue. But beyond that, because of the arrangement in the government between Bennett's party in, you know, and, and those it, and those Arab parties that were included, it seems that this prime minister, according to some people, that this prime minister's hands are tied even more is there legitimacy to that analysis that because of the broad coalition that was formed in order for him to become prime minister it it handcuffs him when it comes to taking security measures against terrorists so again a very complicated question it's not a yes or no answer it's uh you have to assess and analyze the fact that you have uh, an islamist party inside the government uh, which has condemned these some of these attacks um uh, people point to that. People are angry about the fact that you have a prime minister with six seats or now even less, four seats in, 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 the, in the Knesset, yet right. they are able to have a government. So the political season is getting very ripe, and I saw it when I was there last week, um, the heightened politicization of, of things. The um, And because people are anticipating that there could be an election, the government could fall any day now, especially I, if the Knesset is going to come into session I think, this week for the I, first time. I think there's only one reason why hasn't fallen because because the government is hell-bent. Every member is hell-bent to make sure it doesn't fall because they'd be just completely... So they all have a vested interest, which I've, we've talked about many times. Uh, it was an anti-BB coalition. That's what initiated it and what held it together, though there are differences. Now you see that the Ram party is trying to negotiate and leverage its position, and they froze their relationship with the coalition. We saw some breakaways from the coalition. Um... And but the fear is that if you go to election, certainly Bennett may may not be in, in in any government in the future. In the next government, uh, others could could lose. You could or there could be a negotiated coalition. Uh, Benny Gantz has talked about joining Likud and and forming a majority without an election. There are a lot of uh, of different variations of what of what could happen, uh, and so the political the rise of politicalization of everything is is inevitable. Uh, but I think that there is anger because, you, and you take it out against the government because the, you know what are you going to blame the policeman? You're going to blame somebody else. You you blame the the sources of it. Uh, we do it every the, the, democracy does it, uh, and you take it out. And the higher up you go to to put the blame. Now 
I mean, obviously, Bennett is very committed to, to fighting terrorism. Every prime minister of Israel is committed to fighting terrorism. Nobody can be indifferent at this site of, of what they've seen in, in the last few weeks. And, you know, the number of people, it's almost 20 people who were killed in terrorist attacks. And this strikes every single person. Uh, one of the points is that, you know, even when when you see that at the victims, let's say a religious Jew, how all the communities respond, all the people of Israel respond. It's not one or another. It's, it's people feel uh, unified in the response, and there's no differentiations as to what sector of, of Israel they come from. Right. And, and, and you saw it even with secular Jews who died, how many Haredi Jews show up at the funerals to show support and to, to be there. So I think the you know the, the the lashing out is because they they have no answer and they have to to look for accountability. Could the government be tougher? I guess so. I don't know. It's easy to sit as an armchair general and tell them what they should be doing, but clearly there can't be the tolerance of this level of of there has to be enough um, response that people are dissuaded from doing it. And whether it's they who pay pay for the price, their families and others. Those, those are the rules there, and they, they may seem strange to people in the West, but you've got to do whatever you can to prevent, because the violence affects every community, including the Arabs. Uh, the sacrifice that our brothers and sisters make, I'll tell you, this was just, uh, and, and they're no closer. I, well, I, I mean, you'd have to assume that, you know, bl- blanketing the country with, with military and security personnel, they will find these guys. I mean, they usually do, right? Yeah, the question is what more damage they do, and right. and but they can also meld into society, and, and you lose them, yeah. into you know they get hidden, they get smuggled out. By the way, we, we should remember not just Yom Atzimut, but the Yom Zikaron, yep. which marks the deaths of more than twenty four thousand uh, Israelis since eighteen sixty of people that died in the defense of of Israel, particularly since forty eight, and you know we should also commemorate and remember that and, and think of the sacrifices that have been made. No question about it. That's why we spent a lot of time on both Yom HaZikaron on Wednesday, Yom HaTzmoot yesterday. Today's the 5th of ER, but we explained why Yom HaTzmoot is done in advance because of the proximity to Shabbos. Uh, that's something that people need to recognize. And also I'll just add that no matter what you think of uh, Israel Independence Day, I, I as I say every year, there has to be a recognition, at least some type of recognition, that it is a miraculous day in Jewish history. Uh, keep that in mind, no matter what um, uh, part of our community you might come from. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSegal.com, and the AlchemSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations with us uh, with the weekly update. So tell me about the, um, uh, about well, let, you know, let's stay in Israel for a minute. Let's talk about the Temple Mount, especially in light of uh, what happened toward the end of Ramadan. And now uh, we see what happened this week as, as uh, over a thousand people, I think they said, ascended the Temple Mount, a thousand Jews uh, for Yom Atzmut, for Israel Independence Day. There is a... Um, uh, we, we mentioned last week that there is a an objection, a public objection from Jordan about the way things are going on uh, in Yerushalayim right now in the old city. Uh, any update on what's happening in the Temple Mount and what these clashes uh, might do to challenge the Bennett Coalition the same way I just asked earlier about the way that these terror attacks might challenge the Bennett Coalition? So we have to analyze why why is Jordan doing what it is doing, and not to excuse it, but to uh, actually, I believe it's condemnable what the behavior and the statements by the foreign minister and others 
So first of all, he, they play to the two-thirds of their population who are Palestinian. Two, there's a struggle over control over the Harbaith, the challenge Morocco, Saudi Arabia, the Waqf getting independent, uh, the, the uh, other forces, and, and the king is the trustee for, for the um, Waqf. This was an agreement that was reached after 67 and, um, and even before the, um, they exercised that role, though mostly in, in negligence, not in, in action. Uh, so, you have to look at what his what what uh, Jordan's interest in this uh, situation is, and that is not to be isolated. But it, w- it was uh, an inexcusable uh, reaction in, in the condemnations that that followed, the statements that followed, with threats um, uh, attached to some of the uh, statements. Right. But in practicality, they didn't do anything, and they didn't change their relationships. They didn't uh, take action. I think Morocco called back their ambassador briefly, but uh, and there were statements made by almost all the Arab uh, Abraham Accord countries and others because they have to respond because of their own domestic populations and the street. But there was most of them are pretty mild, and most of it was not sustained. Right. Uh, obviously, you know that Turkey and others are playing a role in Iran <clears throat> in stimulating and inciting some of the violence, even Russia made some statements that were pretty insightful. The, um, so the king, the, the Jordanian reaction uh, was really one of, of trying to assert its, its control and its relevance to the events there, two, that to send a message to the Israeli government, and three, most of all, to its own domestic population. Um, is, is this going to affect the coalition the way that the terror attacks could, the way you described earlier? Um, well, every every one of these things weakens the coalition, but um, I don't think. But on the response to a thing like this is really unified. Everybody wants to see the violence quelled. Israelis, dem, Israel's forces demonstrated restraint, really amazing restraint that they didn't disrupt the services to, to catch the people. And you know, <clears throat> you can identify those, even those who look at the pictures. You know who's going in there to pray and who's going in there to do violence. Because if they have their shoes on, yeah. they ain't going in there to pray. You pointed that out and, last week. I thought that was and, that was, and, a, that was a good tip. <laughs> right, right. I'm thinking that that I started looking now more and more at all the pictures, <laughs> right. and and that you know that this was planned. They had stockpiled large numbers of these rockets and the fireworks and other things, so people shouldn't believe that this was spontaneous response to anything. It's organized. It's outside uh, instigation, and um, you know. Uh, Certainly, um, a lot of uh, parties are involved in the collaborative effort to to engage in these kind of activities. Not everybody. You have to remember that the number of people participated was a fraction of the participants in the thing. 50,000 people went. Less than 500 people were involved in all the violence. And there were days when it was 100,000 or 150,000 people who had come to pray on a single day. That's really the story. Right. <laughs> that but that Israel a, but allowed all these people to come. But then when but, they started throwing rocks over the Kotel and you start seeing some, you know, they crossed every red line. And if Israel went in to respond to prevent violence, then, of course, they all jumped on it. And, and uh, we should be going to the source and find out who's, who's instigating this. It doesn't take much to get, you know, a couple dozen you know, people to start throwing rocks and and, um, and and holding the WACF accountable for allowing them to store the things in, in the mosques. Uh, and with it all, it was still contained pretty well. 
Yeah, but it's those 500 that uh, we're most concerned about. I mean, I know, I know you know that, but I mean, you know, that's the... Uh, that's the problem. It might be a minority. But the image that's given by the media right. here is that everybody rose up, that this is a massive right. uh, response. And, in fact, that, that was not the case. Yeah, I hear that. Um, all right. In the United States, if I have the name pronounced properly, Corinne Jean-Pierre is going to be the next press secretary. This is somebody who was an official for Move On, which is a pretty active group in uh, many different political arenas. And uh, somebody who apparently called for the boycott of the APAC conference by presidential candidates and presidents themselves at one time. Your reaction to this uh, woman who is scheduled to replace uh, Jen Psaki? Well, it's a very disturbing appointment, given exactly the points that you made and her explanation of her position on the APAC, um, the boycott of the APAC conference and saying it's not progressive, they don't share our values. I mean, it, it could have been a squad statement um, when you read it. So it's it's very disturbing, and obviously this is a choice they make internally. It's not something subject to confirmation or anything, but I, I believe that this will be an issue we will hear a lot more about. Um. You know, it'll be interesting to see the members of the press and how they deal with her. Um, so you remember, and I, I'm not saying this in a cynical manner, just it, it reminds me, I mean, and it, was, and it was a very serious issue. I'm not uh, I'm making light of it at all, but you remember, of course, uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, and it comes up every few decades uh, or every few years, the issue of who is a Jew, and of course, that's a very serious topic, and, and one that international jury, you know, um, uh, delves into and debates, and obviously the state of Israel is at the center of that whole debate and discussion. And I, I'm, I'm saying this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but what I saw this week uh, from uh, from the foreign minister of Russia sort of reminded me of, of uh, not who is a Jew, but who is a Nazi. You know, if, if we have confusion in our own, you know, among our own people about who is or, or, or should not be designated as a member of our faith, it seems like now all of a sudden there's confusion about who's a real Jew hater and who's not. And can that person actually have Jewish roots or not? Could you shed some light on the foreign minister of Russia and his confusion about who is a Nazi? I don't think there's any confusion. Um, he, he doubled down on it afterwards and then claiming that Hitler was of Jewish descent, the worst anti-Semites are Jews. Sometimes that is true, but that is not the uh, response. And um, supposedly in a conversation last night with Prime Minister Bennett, uh, President uh, Putin apologized for the comments, although in their readout of the conversation there's no mention of an apology. Uh, I think that this is... Um, you know, in the week of, of Yom HaShoah, when Yom HaShoah, uh, Holocaust Memorial Day was commemorated and everything for, for him to make this outrageous and and uh, blasphemous uh, statement. And more than that, it shows that, that it, Russia is starting to retaliate for what they see as Israel's support for the Ukraine or help to the Ukraine, even though there are others who are criticizing us for not doing enough, although, you know, humanitarian and other levels, they've done much more than all the countries who are complaining about them. And when you have half the countries in the world virtually haven't said anything, or or many, many dozens, and, and yet they're not subject to any of the criticism. Yeah. Um, but uh, Lavrov, who's somebody I've met many times, was never a good guy, and he... Um, he always had harsh comments in our meetings, but this was uh, this was over the top, and and it shows to what degree they are frustrated and that they are you know reaching out to even make this comparison to 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 try and denigrate Zelensky, who they identify with Nazism and saying this is part of their their 
intent in Ukraine is to denazification of the Ukraine. There are Nazi supporters. They're not neo-Nazi types in, in, in the Ukraine. I mean, they've been manifest before, but they're not, certainly not where the government is at or, or, um, uh, Zelensky himself. You know what? So, con- you know what confuses me. If if the last couple of prime ministers have had a pretty good relationship in terms of their leadership in relation to Russia, and it, and it seems like that's the case. It seems like there's open dialogue, and, and you know, forget about the Ukraine war now for a moment. I'm talking about pre-Ukraine war. It seemed like there were years of you know pretty good relationship. How how does a government and its leaders? Uh, establish and maintain that type of relationship when the foreign minister, the person responsible for representing their country to other countries, has this hatred for Israel and Jews. So I think that, first of all, he's been there for 20 years, 30 years, um, and the policy in this case is certainly made by Putin, who has demonstrated in different occasions sentiments, pro-Israel sentiments. Uh, the, the danger for Israel there is, is manifest. They're, they're uh, manifold. One is the Jews in Russia, and they could feel increasing pressure, and even Rabbi Lazar said it would be nice if there would be an apology. I think that came from domestic pressure. You see even some of the Jewish oligarchs coming out with uh, and leaders making statements about it inside the country, which is very unheard of. They uh, So one is is that the concern about what happens to the Jews in Russia? Two is Russia sitting on Israel's border in Lebanon, in in Syria, and playing a very critical role, and could allow the their anti-aircraft systems to limit the maneuverability of the Israeli air force. Um, then and then, of course, you have trade. You have a lot of other issues, and Russia's ability to do what they did in inviting Hamas to come. It could be symbolic, but it also could be practical. We could have weapons, we could have other things that could be involved in their ability to retaliate against Israel. Uh, so in the beginning, there seemed to have been acceptance that Israel was in an impossible position, being pressed by left, right, and Bennett at least gave an outlet for it by, by negotiating. Right now, it doesn't look like he's negotiating, but the fact that he had the conversation with the, with Putin, right. there were reports that Putin was going to have a cancer operation. I don't see that that is in fact happening, but he, he certainly doesn't look well in the pictures. Um, and he's beginning to feel the bite because the body bags and the reports of of their losses are coming back home. And Russians have no tolerance for body bags. Don't That's all, why they incinerate a lot of the bodies. Don't all leaders during wartime look worse than usual? Well, I don't think Winston Churchill looked worse than, than usual. I don't think that uh, during the Gulf War that they looked worse than usual. I think that depends. It depends on what kind of leadership they give. Look at Zelensky and, and, and how he, he was very unpopular before the war. You know, he was a comedian. He didn't have a real political background. I met with him several times. You know, he wasn't overly impressive, and yet he rallied. <laughs> and today yeah, he's very popular in, about, in the Ukraine. Talk Pardon about, me? Talk about the times making the man. Right, exactly. So... There are. It, it depends each that's individual true. how they respond to it. They can show weakness. They can show strength. Yeah, he true. showed remarkable strength. He didn't leave. <clears throat> Man, people believe if he left Kiev, then they would have. Uh, they would have fallen. Finally, Malcolm, those who are paying attention to the Sunday talk shows and some of the other uh, stuff that's being discussed, even the, even the more, um, uh, you know, Biden supportive commentators seem to finally be admitting that the uh, the clock when it comes to Iran is ticking and ticking 
very quickly. I mean, when, when some of these officials now describe the capabilities of Iran now and, and, and what will happen just a few months down the road, it is horrifying to, first of all, to see that it's nowhere in the headlines. That's number one, which I'm sure frustrates you as well. But secondly, it's horrifying to consider what the United States is doing here instead of uh, being tough on Iran, still negotiating and still possibly heading towards some type of agreement. So, <clears throat> I mean, it should be no surprise to your listeners because we have discussed it and we've warned about it for years, uh, analyzing all the things that are happening today, almost without exception, about what the buildup was, what, the, what was happening inside the country, what their aggressiveness outside the country. <clears throat> I think some of the remarkable things this week is one, the Mossad's amazing action. They captured a suspect last week in Iran interrogated him in Iran, where he admitted that they were going to kill a U.S. general, they were going to kill an Israeli official, they were going to kill other people. Uh, he admitted he was paid a million dollars to do it. He was involved with drug smuggling and other things. But uh, that that the Israel was able to do this in Iran and, and let it be known as a message to the Iranian government that they have the freedom to, to operate and, and to you know, the threats that are coming from Iran are happening unabated. They organized the Al-Quds Day demonstrations, both in Jerusalem and around the world, and all over, um, all over Iran. There were Al-Quds, meaning Jerusalem Day, which they've done since the revolution in 79. Uh, their incitement and actions against Israel pay, still paying the terrorists, the organization, and with weapons, et cetera, continues unabated. Now you have, for the first time, 16 Democrats joined the Republicans and a, mess, a message to the president saying, and any new deal, including uh, Schumer and others, uh, Booker, uh, Gillibrand, uh, some the people who know and others, uh, signed on to this. And again, it's not binding, it's not legislation, but it said, we don't want a new deal that removes the sanctions against the RGC. We don't want a deal that doesn't take into account the other activities of Iran, meaning the regional aggressiveness and their ballistic missile program, neither of which is covered by the JCPOA. What's really happening in the negotiations is, is obscure. Uh, you know, the Russians were really dictating much of the process. They we're representing them in, in Vienna at the talks, but they were also inside in Tehran in the Supreme Leader's house and others in the negotiations, and we're pushing a much harder line. For Russia, would benefit both ways. If there's a deal, then Russia gets to export all the stuff through Iran. If there's no deal, then... The Oil stays high. I mean, there are a lot of other ramifications. Right. And I'm simplifying it just for people's to, to see the complexity and how everything is interrelated. So you see that in Congress, people are, are turning against the deal. The more aggressiveness that uh, we expose and very little of, of the truth about how much Iran is doing is it gets out. But uh, the the um, uh, they're their increased export of, of the technology and, and weapons, their linkages with Russia and China, and the fear that there could be a new uh, relationship established. I think Russia emerges from all of this much weakened, that people see that it's largely a paper tiger, that they couldn't take Ukraine, which is not exactly a world power, and with the investment that they made, uh, 150,000 troops, etc., that their equipment broke down, that they, a lot of it was outdated. Maybe this will all result in massive corruption trials, that the money was not spent on the weapons that, that he was told. And certainly the reports that Putin seemed to have been getting were not accurate accounts of, of what's happened and that they've lost maybe 20,000 people, soldiers, in, in Ukraine, which will be a very heavy reaction inside Russia. So Iran 
continues all of the, despite the seven-week pause in the negotiations, there are still, the administration and others are still pushing to try to get a deal. I think there's less and less support and less and less likelihood as we move ahead. Do you have any idea how many Ukrainian refugees have returned to Ukraine? Like approximately, like, is it significant or it's just a... Oh, no, it's significant that the, the, the number of people who have gone back, people, you know, left the houses. Unfortunately, when they come back, they find many houses have been looted by Russians, by others, uh, by the people who stayed behind. Um, and, you know, many of them went to Germany because it would give them the ability to go back. Um, you do have a, a sharply increased Aliyah from Russia, from Belarus, and from the Ukraine to Israel. But we don't know how long people will stay and, and how permanent it is. The, uh, I think for the Russians who are leaving, it is going to be more permanent. And the, the, um, uh, but they've talked about hundreds of thousands supposedly returning, but you're talking now of perhaps four or five million refugees who, who have left the Ukraine. Um, someone told me in Israel that the overwhelming majority of Ukrainian refugees who are now in Israel are planning on going back. Did they, did they get full Israeli citizenship? Was that part of the whole... Uh uh, it's very complicated, and I, I try to get the hard statistics and stuff. It's, it's almost impossible. First of all, the majority of the people who Israel has allowed to, to come in for refuge are not Jewish, and right. so they're not eligible for automatic citizenship. The Jews are, under the law of return, eligible for automatic citizenship. Many are taking it and, and are moving into Israel, seem to be absorbed, and, and to be, uh, the government is doing a lot. So are Jewish organizations, others. Uh, involved in the, in Ukraine and elsewhere to help get the Jews out or to, to sustain them. I think it's a remarkable effort. It's a huge amounts of money. I hope it's all being spent well, and people should check when they give, what they're giving for, and to make sure that it's, it's legitimate. But the uh, uh, conditions in the country are, are obviously very severe, and the majority of the Jews are still there. Um, uh, but the uh, the trend, many people believe, is that those who were on the border places when interviewed talk about returning to their homes. Uh, it's the 5th of ER. Uh, normally, uh, not for the proximity to Shabbos, today would be uh, Israel Independence Day, Yom HaTzmut. Right. Uh, Malcolm, just a, a word about uh, no matter how, uh, no matter what anyone thinks or what part of the community they come from, not to recognize that today is a day of a, uh, a miraculous uh, episode in our history would be foolish. People need to recognize that today was a significant day in modern Jewish history. Yeah, I won't go through it, but I should go back and read what Cook said when when attacked about the dressing up in Big Day Yantav in his holiday clothing to mark the St. Remo uh, agreement. And uh, he reminded everybody of the Sukim and Tilim, and people should know that this is, regardless of your political views or your whether you believe religiously it's, it's justified or not, anybody who doesn't see the miracle of what it means to have nine and a half million people in Israel to see all that Israel has accomplished. And I heard Rip Steinman say that this is a Medina Shalom Chesed, 150,000 people learning full-time in Israel. And we all have to recognize whatever your political views, whatever your, your orientation, it doesn't matter. Anybody who doesn't see it, it will not rejoice in it. And uh, and you go back and understand what the Makar, what the origin of that uh, comment is. Yeah, the greatest funder of Torah education in the history of the world is, of course, the state of Israel. And uh, that has to be recognized. And in general, the miracle of today has to be acknowledged, no matter uh, what uh, your beliefs, politically or religiously, might be. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And uh, Mir Tashem will speak next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for uh, the weekly update here at JM in the AM.